So this morning we are, um, this is week two, we're doing a series called One, and this is week two. Um, I want to make sure that we kind of remember this overarching theme. So the overarching theme for however long it takes us to get through Ephesians is this. Everything we need comes from one. Because it's easy to get distracted, right? It's easy to kind of feel like there's a ton of stuff going on. But everything we need comes from one. Everything we need comes from one. So last week was um, the one-point sermon. Remember that? There was only one point. So you're like, I wish every sermon could be like that. Just one point. But last week was one point, And the point was choose Jesus. That basically this letter that Paul has written, he's in a prison cell. He's not sure what's coming next. And he writes this whole letter to the church in Ephesus saying this, you have everything you need to overcome. You've got everything you need to, to be the, the believer you need to be in Christ, to follow Jesus. You've got everything you need for everything that you're going to face, but all on one criteria. And it was that you would be, the phrase was, in Christ, right? We talked about that last week. Um, Kyle had come up at the end and had mentioned, like, in the footnote of his Bible, how many times that, that phrase is used. And so uh, over 30 to 35 times in the letter of Ephesians, we read stuff like, in Christ, with Christ, seated in the heavenly realms. It's all about our relationship with Christ. And so 216 times, 216 times in the New Testament, especially in the letters that Paul wrote, is the phrase, in Christ, with Christ. Do you know how many, did I tell you this last week, how many times the, the term Christian is in the Bible? Three. Now in America, everybody's a Christian, right? So we've we've like taken this label and elevated it to this status. Like we don't, no, you don't walk up to people. I don't think you do. Maybe you do this. Walk up to people and say, "Are you in Christ?" No, you say stuff like, "Are you a Christian? Do you go to church?" If you really want to throw them, when you ask them if they go to church, and they say, "Yes, I do," and you ask them what church, they tell you the name of the church, then you just say stuff like this: "Well, who's the pastor there?" And they'll be like, "Uh, some dude with the Bible," <laughs> you know. But we don't usually use the phrase "in Christ." It's a little bit strange. So Paul kind of created this new language, this new term that talks more about our identity, our position, our relationship than a label, right? We love to label everything, but Paul's like in Christ. So that's the one thing. We've got to remember that everything that we have, everything we need is in Christ. And this morning, we're going to talk about blessings, the blessings that we have in Christ. Um, and so that sounds really religious. It sounds like, yeah, I'm in Christ. I've got blessings in Christ. But it's really a dependence relationship, right? Last week, we talked about John 15:5. Right? You, you are, I'm the vine, you're the branches. So we like, remember that? We talked about being attached to the tree. So if you're attached to the tree as a branch, you don't have to try to get what the tree's giving you. The tree just gives it to you. It's good to be a branch attached to the right tree. Like today, all the Panther fans, we talk about the bandwagon, but really we're just attached to the Panther tree. And when we win today, we won't have to try to be happy. We'll just be happy, right? We just receive what the tree gives us, correct? And all the 49er fans will be attached to the wrong tree. And I'm realizing the more I talk about this, that God's going to make the Panthers lose just because I said all of this, right? So if I just shut up now. So we want to be in Christ. It sounds very religious, but when we're attached to the tree, it just means that everything the tree has is coming our way. Think about that. Everything the tree has is coming our way. Just a matter of time. So all we have to do is make sure that relationship is good between me and Jesus. Um, so we're talking about a lot of blessings. Um, here's kind of what I want us to do. You've got a sheet, a note sheet, I hope. I want you to take it out. I'm going to give you some time to flip it over. It should be blank on the back. I'm a big, um, well, I don't watch it as much as I used to because I'm getting older, but um, David Letterman Love David Letterman. He's hilarious. Um, and But he used to do things like top ten list, right? So I'm not going to make you do a top ten list. But I want you to take the time, just right there in your seat, just you and Jesus in a pen and paper. And if you don't have the, the note sheet and you just want to do it on your iPhone, whatever, you can do that. I want you to jot down your top five list of blessings in your life. Just the top five blessings in your life. You ready? You're like, I'm holding one, right? The top five blessings in your life. Here we go. Just flip that sheet over. Take some time. Write down the top five blessings in your life. 
So you'll have to shout these out, okay? The acoustics in here are pretty good, but I want to make sure we hear them. Um, I'm just curious, what are some of the ones that you came up with? Only somebody want to shoot one out? Okay, God being saved. Hey, that was pretty cool. Did y'all talk about that together? God being saved. That's awesome. Unity. I'm kidding. What else? Family. Who said family? Just by show of hands. Who didn't say family? <laughs> y'all are also smart. I couldn't. I couldn't get you. Um, what else? Church. Who else said church? Hmm. I'm just messing with you. Friends, you said? Somebody said friends? Community group? Job. Anybody else say job? <laughs> no. Anybody say new job, please? Anything else? I, I heard home. I heard husband. I heard wife. Grace. Health. Health is a blessing, especially when you don't have it. And you start realizing what a blessing it was. Um, what else? I was going to say car. No. Friends. God's word. Ah, being born in America. It's like we should stand and sing, I'm proud to be an American. <clears throat> God bless the U.S. of A. Cool. It's interesting to hear the blessings. Um, when I was thinking about kind of what you might write down, I wasn't sure, you know, would we hear like material blessings? Would we hear spiritual blessings? Um, what we're going to read in the next couple verses in Ephesians, some of the blessings that you just mentioned aren't going to be in there. We're not going to read, we're not going to read friends. We're not going to read family. We're going to read kind of spiritual blessings. Here's what I want us to do. I'm going to read it. We're, you can follow along. You don't have to read it, but it'll be up on the screen. Um, we're in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read from verses 3 to 14. I just want to read through it. I'm going to explain kind of what's going on behind the scenes, and then we'll just talk through three points. <laughs> We're back to three again. Three points, and then we'll go watch the Panthers win. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to the blessings we have in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also, you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. There's a lot in there. Last night I was in the car, I was driving to Concord to make a, a visit, and um, I, I called Miss Bridget, who does Kid City, just to kind of touch base about today, and she was, um, if you know Bridget, sometimes she'll get like a little overwhelmed, and um, she was kind of in that thing, and I was like, well, what's going on? She goes, oh my goodness, we're, we're unpacking and packing, and you know, they're building a house, getting ready to move, and she said this to me as a great illustration of what we're getting ready to do. She said, well, so far today, we've, um, we've emptied one closet. I said, one, one closet? And she said, yeah, one closet. We got all the stuff out of that one closet. We took it outside, and we had it all lined up, and I got the family together, and I said, hey, guys, all that came out of one closet. I don't know if you got a closet like that or not, but Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14 is kind of like that closet. Like, there's a lot of stuff in there. We could spend weeks just on these verses alone. There's a lot 
in here. Let me kind of help you see what's going on. Just a couple general thoughts about what's going on before you even really start to break it down. First, we have it all. Verse 3 says that we have every. Everybody say every. We have every spiritual blessing. That person sitting next to you right now, they may not look like they do. They may not live like they do. But the Bible says they have every spiritual blessing. You have them in a place and in a person. I want to make sure that we get this. This is pretty cool to me. Verse 3 says that we have every spiritual blessing. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms in Christ. They're in a place and they're in a person. Here's why that's critical. Most of us, if we want to talk about how blessed we are, we look at the stuff of earth and then we try to convince ourselves to be more happy about it. We say things like, well, it could be worse. I could be living in India, but I'm not. I've got, I don't have two cars that I really like, but I have two cars that when I turn the key, they crank and start. It could be worse. My mom used to do this all the time, right? Your mom did it too. You better eat that. There's hungry kids starving in Africa. I'm like, I'll pay the postage, ship them the peas. <laughs> right? And if they'll eat the peas after they've been shipped, they're really hungry. And I'm glad to, I'm glad to sacrifice my peas for the kids in, in Africa. We do that all the time. We kind, of, we kind of judge our blessing quotient by earth and by us. Does that make sense? But... But Paul said, man, as long as you're looking at earthly things, as long as you're looking inside of you, you'll never see the blessings that you have. Because they're not of earth, and they're not of you. They're in heavenly places, and they're in Christ. You've ever heard the expression stinking thinking? Yeah, stinking thinking is when we try to come up with spiritual stuff down here on earth, it's up there. You can't think like the world and live blessed. Because it's in heavenly realms. We, we talk about prayer a lot, right? Well, you should pray. You should pray for hours a day. Heck, at this point, just pray 10 minutes a day, right? But why is prayer so important? Because prayer is like one of those times when we actually get into the presence of God. In heavenly places, we start to see, wait a second, like you're a whole lot bigger than this thing I'm facing. That's where we find the blessings. In heavenly places, in Christ Third, this is, this is a quick list. All the things we just read, here are the blessings that we have in Christ. If you want to try to write them down, have fun. Here we go. In Christ, we have been chosen. We have been destined. We have been adopted. We've been given grace. We've been given redemption, forgiveness, revelation, a guarantee, and an inheritance. We are blessed. If we had a test right now, how many of those could you write back down? Four. You got four. That's good. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to make three big blessing buckets. Not literally, okay? But on your sheet, you got three points. We're going to take all those blessings. We're going to try to put them into three buckets, okay? Here's number one. We've been selected by the Father. Now, I told you earlier I'm a church mutt, right? So I've been in Methodist churches. I've been in Baptist churches. I was in a Baptist church that was like a Presbyterian church because they had Reformed doctrine. And right now some of you are like, what's that mean anyway? It means that they believed in, like, predestination. They believed in election. They believed in all the things that whenever I would hear those words, it would make me want to throw up. Do we have any um, North Carolina fans here? I didn't say the real Carolina because that's in South Carolina. But North Carolina fans, raise your hand proudly. Be proud. You know, like, when you hear the word Duke, you want to puke? Right? So when I would hear the word election or predestination, that was kind of how I was. Now, on the flip side, you got Presbyterians that believe in election and predestination, and they would hear stuff like Pentecostalism, and they would want to throw up too. All of us have these words that when we hear them, we just kind of go, ugh. So we shy away from those truths, which is a mistake, right? Because it's in the Bible, right? And I'm not going to even teach on it today. I'm just saying it's right here, and if we shy away from it, that we miss some of the incredible blessings. Sometimes we try to get the terms right. We debate the terms and we miss the truth. So here's one simple statement. Some people would say that you and I have no choice in salvation. Others would say that you and I have a choice. I think the greater truth in this passage is that God had a choice. And he chose you. Think about that. 
the God of the universe had a choice, and he chose you. Now, I have not shied away from my athletic prowess in middle school. I never got picked. I just ended up on a team because I was, eh, we'll take Paul. Listen, of all the things that election, predestination could mean, could not mean, whatever, we can debate that all day long. And by the way, if you haven't noticed, there's thick books written for years by a lot of people that disagree and are all going to go to heaven. But here's what I'm taking away because I'm a little bit practical. Of all the things, well, how much did God know ahead of time? And did he, like, make the car wreck happen? And, and did, did, did that person that didn't love Jesus ever even have a choice? Here's what I know. I was never an afterthought to God. And you weren't either. You, I mean, look at, this, look at your spouse. Just look at them, her. Sometimes they're an afterthought to you. Those of you that aren't married are going, and that's why I'm not married. <laughs> Listen, I'm not even kidding. I'll just be as transparent as I can be. Wendy's been in Columbia for the last three days taking care of her mom and dad because he's facing chemo and her mom fell and broke a bunch of bones and so she's down there taking care of him. She gets back yesterday. She sits on the couch and she's like, what are we doing tonight? And I was like, mean, mean besides watching the playoffs? I could tell right away that that was not resonating with her. So I tried to do that husband recovery. I mean, whatever you want to do. And she's like, I forget it. And she went out and watched TV in another room. And I'm sitting there, and I, just, I shouldn't do this in front of everybody. I should just do it with you probably. But I'm watching, I'm watching the playoffs, and I'm suddenly thinking, this game's not nearly as much fun to watch as I thought it might have been. But in that moment, if I'm being honest with you, as much as I love my wife, she was an afterthought. You were never an afterthought to God. So we can debate all day long. Could you choose to be saved? Could you not choose to be saved? But I'd rather talk about the greater truth that God had a choice. The God of the universe that we just sang about. No other name but Jesus. No other God is greater in the highest. That God had a choice and he picked you. And that one truth should revolutionize us. You have been selected by God and not only did he choose you he chose you for a purpose verse 3 says verse 4 says he chose us in him to be holy and blameless he's not stuck with you he picked you can you imagine going to a wedding and hearing vows like this I promise to have and to hold you because I can't hold anybody else. Well, this marriage isn't going to last long, right? We don't like marriages like that. Well, I tried everything. eHarmony, Match.com. I even tried that new farmer's deal. <laughs> Struck out. But here you are. I'm yours. That's, that's just not how God works. That's not what makes marriages great. What makes marriages great is that two people stand next to each other and basically with so many words say this, out of all the people in the world that are living right now that are the opposite sex of me, I pick you. I could have anybody, but I pick you, and I'm yours. And then all the women go, oh. And all the men go, when are we getting out of here? I want to eat some food, right? <laughs> but he chose you for a reason. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be blameless. We keep going down. We find out that not only did he select us, he selected us to be adopted as sons. Verse 5, it says that he predestined us to be adopted and, and again, people here, can, you start hearing predestined, you're like, oh, wait a second, like, did I really have a choice over, like, what socks to wear today? And did I really choose not to wear the Panthers slippers instead of wear these adult shoes? Or was I predestined to make that decision? Ah, who cares, dude? You've been predestined to become like Jesus. 
like we talked about conveyor belts before, like the, the moment that you said yes to God because he picked you, he's like, I want you on my team. And you went, me? Are you kidding? Ice up, son. Let's do it. And you jumped up on the conveyor belt. You are predestined as you follow Jesus to become more and more like Jesus. It is not possible to be a hamster in a wheel following Jesus. Because the minute you say yes, he has predestined that in Christ you would begin to look like Jesus. That is good news. He did not just pick you to be his teammate. He adopted you to be his son, his daughter. You are family. We talk a lot about families having crazy uncles because all of us have one. And we want to hide the crazy uncle in the back. But you are not God's crazy uncle. He's proud of you. He likes to introduce you. This is my, this is my daughter. This is my son. I chose them. And people go, do what? And I was like, look, I'm God. I chose them, and I will kill you with lightning. <laughs> he probably doesn't really say that. God is 100%. Listen to this closely. God is 100% against Christians barely getting by. 100%. It's like, I did not choose you. I did not adopt you. I did not select you and predestine you to squeak by in the end. Now, down here, we'll take that, right? Another 10-9 victory for the Panthers, I'm cool with that. I'll have no nails left, but I'm cool with that. But God did not select us to just barely get by as Christians. He selected us to become holy and blameless. And if I asked all the people in your life right now, give me two words to describe your friend, were those the two that they would pick? Holy, blameless. I'll answer for you. If you ask my friends, they would be like, mm, no, probably not. Let's go with two different words, like a jerk, ugly. And my response to that is, maybe so. But thank you. I'll be on the conveyor belt a little longer. And I will end up looking like Jesus. Right? And that just makes us be humble. It's a good thing. So God chose you. Not so that you could attend church and participate in cold religious works. Listen, if church has become a cold religious work for you, leave. It's not what God saved you for. Better yet, repent. Because he didn't save us for cold religious works. He adopted us and saved us so we could be his son. He chose us so he could know us. Apart from what we've done, in spite of what we've done, we've been selected by a father. He has walked into an orphanage where you and I have sat for years without hope and without family. And he has changed our lives forever with three words, just three words. He walks into an orphanage right here. And all of you have been waiting your whole life for somebody to want you bad enough. And he changes your life with three words. You are mine. And we go, what? You've been selected by the Father. Our response to that is praise. Verse 6, he says, After all of that, to the praise of His glorious grace, we have been selected by the Father. We've been set free by the Son. That's number two. I think this is cool. This is just the way my mind works, right? So God goes to great steps, great lengths to set us free. He selects us. The, the Father selects us, and then he sets us free. And why does God set us free? One simple answer. You won't find it in theology books anywhere, but here's this. God doesn't want to have kids in prison. Oh, wait. So he's like us, right? So we're parents like that, too, because I don't think any parents are going, God, please let my kid go to jail. So God has children. He 
comes to the, aid, the adoption age, the orphans, and he says, you are mine, and he picks us, he selects us, he makes us his son, he makes us his daughter, and then guess what he does not want you to do? Go to jail. And so he sends Jesus to set you free. He sets us free in the Son. If I, if I ever have children in prison, oh, pray for me. I hope they're there because they told somebody in another country about Jesus. But if I ever have kids in prison, I can tell you two things. Number one, they'll still be my kids. And number two, this is the part that you're not going to feel good about. Number two, our relationship will suffer. That sounds horrible as a parent to say, doesn't it? But isn't it true? Like, you can't text each other. You can't, like, have family dinner. There's things you cannot do with your children when they are in jail. They're very much still your kid, right? But you just can't, like, there's not freedom there. You just can't. The relationship suffers because the kids are in jail. How sad would it be if we were God's children, but he only has visitation rights in our life? Are we still his children? Well, I mean, he selected us. I mean, you are mine. Is our relationship going to suffer? Absolutely. And there are Christians all over the world who will die and go to heaven. And their relationship with Jesus is suffering because they live their lives in prison. God did not save you. He did not select you. He did not send Jesus to set you free in order for him just to have visitation rights in your life. Oh, please come visit me in prison, God, because I got shanked. And it hurts. And I was stupid and I wasn't paying attention, but the dude in the cafeteria shanked me with a bar of soap. I'm dying, but at least the wound is clean. Help. That's, that's kind of our walk with Jesus. And the graciousness of God is that he shows up. That he will visit you in prison. But he sent Jesus to set us free. Because he does not want kids to be in prison. Anytime that we try to earn our redemption. And let me just make sure I get this clear. We usually don't try to earn our salvation by actually proving to God that he should save us. Okay? I don't think any of you did that, right? At some point you were like, you looked in the mirror and went, wow, I really do suck. Jesus, I need you, okay? But here's how we fall into the trap of trying to prove our redemption. We try to prove to God every moment beyond that first moment that he made a good choice. Well, of course you picked me, God. Look at me. I'm your gift to everybody. Why wouldn't you pick me? I read the Bible all the time. I go to church. I, I don't just sit near the orange wall. I'm going to go to one of those countries. I am like, I'm the one to pick. God, of course you pick me. We try to rationalize his decision. Live a good life to prove that he was smart enough when he picked us. Sometimes we fall into that trap. And I'm telling you, you fall into that trap, you're going to live your life in prison. And that's a shame because here's what God has done to set you free. Verse 7, he paid a high price to set you free. He redeemed us by his blood. So God didn't walk into Walmart to the value bin and just like grab a handful of gum, throw a quarter out. He paid for you with the blood of his son. I, I I can't think of any other way to value somebody more than if my kid gave their life so that person could live. And if my child gave their life for you to live, I can guarantee you this, I'm all up in your life. I, I've, never, I've never received an organ transplant, never had something donated from somebody to me or to somebody in my family, but I can tell you right now, I would want to know I'd be a, we're part of that family now. My, my child died in a car accident. You got the heart. I'd like to kind of see how your life's going. There's something about the high value of the price that makes us connected. He bought you with his blood. 
You are valuable because of the price he paid. Imagine that. Because I don't feel that valuable, to be honest with you. I feel like I could have been bought at the value bin. But he paid a huge amount for me. He bought us with the blood of his son. What blows my mind even more than that, verse 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, verse 7, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Verse 8, that he lavished on us. That blows my mind. Here's why. Not only did he spend the highest price with the blood of his son to buy me and you, but he didn't count the cost while he did it. So I'm a little cheap. And if I bought something really expensive, I'd be pretty pumped about it. But I can tell you this, we'll be counting it as we write the check or swipe the card or whatever we end up doing, right? It's like they're pulling the cash out of your hand. That says this, God set you free by the Son. He sent Jesus, he shed his own blood, a high price for your soul. And while he was spending all of that currency to buy you, God was not going, God, why does it have to cost so much? He was going, I'll pay more. He lavished it on us. Dang. We don't treat each other like that. We treat each other like he got us at a bargain. We talked about that last week. You are valuable. The person sitting next to you in Christ is valuable. And that's why they're valuable. Because God paid probably more than you and I would have ever paid for their soul. And was willing to pay more. He lavished it. And as if it could get even more confusing. This is really good for spouses, okay? He did it on purpose. So the end of verse 8 says this. It says that, he lavished it on us with all wisdom and understanding. Have you ever spent too much for something and you knew it the minute you did? Um, the only And moms are so good at making you feel bad about that. When I was um, growing up, my brother and I, Stephen, um, we loved stereos. And I remember this back when we had Kmart here. And this was back when the, I mean, hang with me, five for students, because I'm going to be so not cool anymore, uh, as if I probably even was. But here we go. It had an 8-track. And and, and, and I, I remember still, my favorite 8-track was an orange 8-track by Barry Manilow. Okay? It's fantastic. Yeah. Not only did it have an 8-track, hang with me here, it had a radio, FM. Oh, yeah. And a record player. Um, record player turntable, that's that thing that cool people use now to, like, you know, DJs and stuff. But back then, you actually put it on there and left it alone. And it would play this thing we called music, right? Now it's just going to, you know, all that stuff, right? I don't even think it sounds like that, because that sounded more like a chipmunk in your attic, didn't it? <laughs> anyway, so, um, so we had picked it out at Kmart. It was like, I think it was $100, and it came with, like, you know, the speakers. And this was before Wi-Fi, so it came with, like, the cords that connected the speaker to the actual radio thingamajig with the 8-track. And Stephen, we, we shared a room together, and so, you know, we were going to go in to get it, and we worked all summer long, and we, we laid pine straw at my dad's house, which was a big deal because he's got a pretty big house and a pretty big yard, and we laid pine straw all summer long, and my brother got given $50 for it, and I got given $50 for it, and we put our money together. We went to Kmart. We bought that. We brought it home. We set it up. We were like, this is awesome. We were rocking out to the 8-track, and my mom came in. What you got there? Got the rocking stereo system, baby. Although I didn't call my mom baby because that'd been weird. <laughs> and my mom, being the practical mom that she was, said, "How much did that cost?" And we, being the stupid men that we were, men, thinking we got a deal, we were like, "A hundred dollars." And she went, "Oh, that's that's a lot." And I, I almost I felt a lump up in my throat. It might have been Barry Manilow. I'm not sure because he was playing. But I felt like I wanted to start crying. 
And I was ready to pack it up and take it back to Kmart and get my money back. Because my mom, who gave birth to me, felt like I had done an unwise thing in spending that much money on a stereo system. Listen, if we don't struggle with the fact that God paid a high price and that he was willing to pay more and didn't count the cost, we've got to struggle with this. When we look at the people in our lives that we don't really like, we want to say, God, maybe take that one back. I know you're God. I know you're super wise and all, but you had a moment there, and you need to take it back. And if you, if you got that person on Amazon Prime, they've included a return label. You just put it on that person, call UPS, done. But verse 8 kills that. Because verse 8 says that he did it in all wisdom and understanding. Can we stop talking about other people for a second? Can we just talk about ourselves? You're an idiot. Me too. And there are a lot of days when I look at God and say, are you sure that when it says that you bought me with all wisdom and understanding, you really knew what you were getting into when you bought me? And you still did it. It's, man. He sets us free. With his son. Not only have we been set free from sin. We've been set free from confusion. About what happens after that. Verse 9 says this. That he's made known to us the mystery of his will. Verse 11 actually says that we can know that everything is going to work out in keeping with his will. I, I want to make this statement, see if it's not too confusing. Jesus can seem like a mystery, but he's not mysterious. Sometimes we treat God like he's mysterious. Ooh, you're like Harry Potter. You're here and you're gone over here and you're behind me and you're like, yee. God's not mysterious, he is a mystery. He's not mysterious. He doesn't hide in the shadows. It gives him good pleasure to make known to you the mystery of his will. We beg and plead with God to show us his will as if it's something that he just like hides in the back corner. And he goes, dude, not only do I want you to know the will, but like I paid my son's blood for you to be bought. I set you free and I gave you my will. Here, just, just read it. Oh, you don't understand it? Yeah, I know. Kind of just moment there where we did the King James. But what you can do is I've got a lot of people that I've, I've, I've created that have made lots of ver versions of it. And like the NIV and there's like the contemporary English version. And not only that, i got brilliant people, probably not Paul, but like they've written commentaries that can help you understand the Bible. It'll help you understand the will. And we beg and we plead, please, God, please just give me your will. It's like, dude, did you not understand my son on the cross? My will is that you would not be far from me, but that you would be brought near to me. My will is that you would be selected, adopted as mine, that you would be set free from the things that imprison you, that we would have a relationship together. I've even given you my truth so that you can know what it is. And he does not play hide and seek with his will. We are set free to know God. He wants to be known. He makes himself known. Not just on occasion when he visits us in prison, but he has made us heirs with him. Verse 11, in the NIV it says, in him we were also chosen. In some translations it says, in him we were also made heirs. You're, you're an heir to the things of God. And what is our response to this? Verse 12. To the praise of his glory. We respond to God, the Father, for selecting us with praise. We respond to the Son for setting us free with praise. And then the third thing that happens is we're sealed by the Spirit. Selected by the Father, set free by the Son, sealed by the Spirit. And we've got to understand the seal, okay? Here's what it meant back in the day when Paul wrote this. Seals were a sign of the genuineness of a document. They were... When goods would be transported, seals would identify who their owner was, and it would protect them from theft. So, 
Or I think back then it was like, heat up the wax. And that said, this document is authentic. I, I guess kind of like a notary today. How do I know that you didn't just type up this contract that says that I owe you $3 million on your computer and hit print? I'm not saying I've ever tried that. I'm just saying you might want to make that more official. And the way you make that official is you typically go to a notary because they have to sign that they've read the documents. It's genuine. They give it their stamp. And then you turn in and they have to pay you millions of dollars. It's pretty cool. Jan's a notary. I'm just saying if you want to type up a letter like that that says somebody owes you millions of dollars, let her do it. Maybe it'll work out for you. Who knows? Or maybe you'll both be in prison, but you've been set free by the sun. The stamp, the seal, you've been marked by the Spirit. It's like God selects you. He makes you his son. He sets you free because he doesn't want to visit you in prison. He gives you everything you need to live a life of victory. And then he stamps you with his Spirit. He seals you with the Spirit. He says, boom, that one is absolutely mine. It acts as a guarantee. You ever bought a house? It's kind of like when you put down earnest money. You're with your realtor. You look at a house and you go, I love this house. It moves me. Can they hold it for us? And the realtor's like, absolutely. They just need $1,000. They just want $1,000 for the house? That's it? We'll take it. No, idiot. They need $1,000 earnest money. So that, that tells everybody that you're serious about this house and you'll be back to buy it later. Oh, right. That's what this is. Do you know that when you were saved, when you said, I believe Jesus, when you gave your heart and your life to following Jesus, the Bible says that God gave you his spirit, that it marks you as genuine. Look, in the South especially, there's a lot of fakers, a lot of people posing like they believe in Jesus. But if you watch them long enough, you figure out, eh, they're not genuine. I didn't say they're not perfect because nobody's perfect. But the Holy Spirit marks you. That person's legit. They got some problems, but they're legit. Something's happening. They're on a conveyor belt. They're becoming more like Jesus. Something's going on in their life. I can't explain it, but I don't even like them, but they're legit. He marks us. He says, look, someday you're going to get an inheritance. And until that day, I'm God. I'm putting down my earnest money. Everybody else, back off. I got that one. He says that about you. Are you kidding me? About you? About me? That's how much God wants us. He seals us with the Spirit. We're sealed. We're marked by the Spirit, as the rightful heirs of all that God has given us in Christ. So here's what that means. Every blessing, being chosen, being destined, being adopted, being given grace, redemption, forgiveness, revelation, a guarantee, all of that is ours in Christ, and the Holy Spirit is working in us to guarantee it. This is critical. Not so that we can, and I'm, I've seen believers do this, not so you can pound your fist on the table and say, God Give me what's mine. Because there was a story in the Bible about a dude like that. He was the prodigal son. It wasn't a good story. The reason that he does this is that we can simply say, God, I don't want to walk away from that inheritance. I cannot speak for you. I can only speak for me. The Holy Spirit protects me from me. Because I will walk away. I know my heart. I know, and I'm talking about the Panthers a lot, I'm just trying to make it real for you, right? All week long, every time I turn on ESPN, I want to punch these guys in the face. Because, like, they're giving the Panthers no shot. I, I would have no shot if I was the Panther, right? I mean, I, that's why later today I'll be the guy wearing the Panther slippers while they're wearing cleats, right? But I'm telling you, it just riles me up. And I literally, if... If Ron Jaworski was right here, I would, I would punch him hard in the face. And then I'd be like, what's up with that, Ron? Right? No, you didn't, right? The whole deal. 
And here's the thing. There's no way in the world that that attitude honors God. There's no way. And that's just about a silly game of football. So we think, oh, this is great. The Holy Spirit's marked me. He sealed me. I'm good. I went to an altar one time. I prayed. I'm good. He's marked me. I'm totally okay. And now, like a little spoiled brat, I'm going to be like, God, give me what's mine. That's not why he marked you. He marked you so you wouldn't walk away from the greatest love you've ever encountered in your life. 1758, there's a man named Robert Robinson. He wrote a hymn that we have sung called, Come, Thou Fount of Every Blessing. The fourth verse says this, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's why the Holy Spirit seals you. Because you would leave if he didn't. And so would I. The greatest love. Have you ever tried to walk away from something that you couldn't walk away from? Sure you have. If you're married. Your spouse ticks you off. As spouses are prone to do. And you get in the car. And you start driving away. I'm done with this. And then before long, usually around a meal, you start going back. Why are you back? I can't leave. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Please take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. What's our response to being sealed by the Holy Spirit like that? Verse 14, don't be surprised. There's a real theme here. Praise. To the praise of his glorious grace. So here's the common theme in this section of scripture. In case you haven't noticed it. It's all God. From beginning to end, it's all God. God the Father selects us. God the Father, God the Son sets us free. And God the Spirit seals us. It's all God. Our only natural response to that kind of grace is praise. Today's big idea, here's what it says. The blessings of grace produce hearts filled with praise. Mark Driscoll, I was listening to a sermon. He says something, I'm going to totally butcher it, but something like this. Every situation contains a blessing in Christ. And I started thinking, if we can't see the blessing in every situation, do you know why we don't see the blessing? It's because we've stopped looking at Jesus. Because he's the blessing. These buckets we've been talking about, being selected and being set free and being sealed, these are all Jesus. So in any situation that you and I are in, even the worst ones, and I'm so thankful that when I preach this, I can say to you, I've been in worse ones. In any situation, we should be able to see Jesus. And when we do, we see the blessing of that situation. The blessings of grace produce hearts filled with praise. Everything we need comes from one. Every, everything you wrote on your top five list comes from Jesus. Changes everything too, right? I have a great spouse. I mean, she puts up with me, right? I've got a great wife. I have a great family. If all I see is a wife, if all I see is kids, if all I see is a family, then I've missed it, right? But when I understand this, that I have been selected by a father, that he did, I'm not an afterthought to God. He had a choice and he chose me. Guess what I'm able to do now? Lay my life down and choose Wendy. I can be a better husband. 
That blessing is not a family. That blessing points to Jesus. I just want you to get that, okay? I want you to get that. That's what Paul was saying here. He talked about the Father. He talked about the Son. He talked about the Spirit. And every time he did it, he finished with the same thing, to the praise of his glorious grace. Our only response to this is praise. Being selected, set free, and sealed allows me to live with praise in every situation because the blessings of grace produce hearts filled with praise. So here's how we're going to wrap up this morning. We're just going to pray. We're just going to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand together, and I'm going to pray for you. But while I pray for you, I want you to pray too. I just want you to say to God, give him some praise. Now, if you're here this morning, and you do not know Jesus like we just talked about, the worst thing you can do is leave this place and not know Jesus. And there are plenty of people here that can, that can talk to you about loving Jesus. And thankfully, it's not just me and other people that are pastors. You're probably sitting next to somebody right now whose life has been transformed by the Jesus we just preached about. And, and all you have to do is turn to him and go, dude, I don't know what that dude, he's on crack. He's wearing this ice up sun shirt. He's got slippers. He talks about the Panthers a lot. But that dude is nuts about Jesus. And I know that I don't love Jesus like that. Can you help me with that? And the person next to you will say, absolutely. I can help you with that. Because just like last week, there's one choice. And it's choose Jesus. And when you choose Jesus, you get all of that stuff we just talked about. And I cannot help but praise God for that. And my life has seen times that have sucked. And even in all of that, I cannot imagine a life without Jesus. To the praise of his glorious grace. And what I really want you to get this morning is this. Even with all of that good stuff, there are days that I wake up and think, I don't want to do this anymore. And our only response is, God, here's my heart. Take and seal it. Please seal it. Because I'm prone to wander. Seal it for thy course above. Lord, this morning as we close out just, I'm just week two. Goodness gracious. We're only 14 verses into this letter. What an amazing closet full of stuff. I just kind of step back and I'm looking at all the things that we unpacked this morning and we didn't even touch the surface of it, God. There are jewels and treasures in this letter. And for me this morning, God, my takeaway today is this. Whether I had a choice or not, I don't know. I'll never understand all that. But you had a choice, God. And you chose me. You set me free. You sealed me. And, and all I can do is give you praise back. Glory to God in the highest. Man. No other name but Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God.